Amen. Will you please make your way with me in your Bibles this morning once again to the third chapter of the Apostle Paul's epistle written to the Romans where we are going to be looking together at the closing verses, verses 27 through 31. Romans chapter 3, 27 through 31, and again that passage is found on page 1106 in your pew Bibles. Well, we are still looking together at the glorious doctrine of justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, solely because of the magnificent grace of Almighty God alone, that really was at the center of the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. And we've spent the last several weeks looking together at just the six preceding verses of our text this morning, looking at really what justification is. And now, this morning, I would like to move forward and finish off this third chapter over the next week or so and speak with you about what justification does. And perhaps we would do well to sort of quickly look back at where it was we last left off. And you will undoubtedly remember that the Apostle Paul has already spent a great deal of effort establishing for this, the readers of this letter the bad news of Almighty God's terrifying and altogether incriminating indictment against all of mankind. That is, that man is a sinner. A sinner who stands in desperate need of the grace of Almighty God and who is consequently condemned by his sin at every turn. Man, because of the fall of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in the garden, is now by nature born into this world at absolute enmity with God. He is separated from God. And his most desperate need is to be reconciled. And man, as he is in and of himself, can do nothing at all to change that reality. So we've seen the desperate situation that all of mankind is in. The indictment is handed down by the supreme judge of all of heaven and earth, and we see that it is absolutely accurate. There is no part of it that has been embellished or exaggerated. No one is going to rise up with an adequate defense to offer on our behalf. We are all guilty. We are all condemned. And as we have seen the Apostle Paul so meticulously as he's laid out this charge, we know that every single mouth in the vast sea of humanity has indeed been silenced. There is no defense to offer up for us. That's our dilemma. That's the predicament that we're in. There's no way for us to appease the justified wrath of Almighty God, which we in our sin have caused. Man is left to simply tremble and to plead for mercy from the only one who could ever truly give it. The only one who stands sovereign over every created thing. Beloved, that's the bad news. However, thanks be to God, Paul does not just give us the bad news 
in order to simply lead us into a kind of nihilistic, even hopeless despair. No, there is a reason that we must know our situation, even though it's painful to hear and extremely humbling to ever truly come to grips with. Paul illustrates for us the bad news in order to serve as the only backdrop for the good news. The two cannot be divided. The good news makes absolutely no sense whatsoever apart from the bad news. And beloved, it is the bad news that ultimately makes us to see just how truly wonderful the good news is. And so having made us aware of our precarious situation, the Apostle Paul begins to then expound upon the wonderful good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've been considering the bad news, so I trust that the good news has been sweet music to our ears. And he does so by giving us this very thorough explanation of the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, all because of the wonderful grace of Almighty God alone. We have spent four consecutive weeks looking together at that doctrine here in just verses 21 through 26 of this third chapter. And it opened up to us with those wonderful two words that really are music to every condemned sinner's ears. But now. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. And hope begins to rise even from the depths of our despair. Now, now that we have come to the place of seeing our guilt, seeing our debt which we owe to Almighty God because of it, now that we're not questioning our ability to satisfy God with our paltry attempts at good works, now Paul can tell us how, it is in, how indeed it is that we can be justified. We need perfect righteousness, and Almighty God has graciously given to us the exact righteousness that He requires in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You understand, beloved, we talk about it all the time. He was born to be the perfect, qualified sacrifice to end all sacrifices. Paul tells us that he and he alone can be our propitiation through his blood. He willingly laid aside his glory. He came in flesh. He was blameless in the eyes of the law. He fulfilled every single one of the law's demands for us. And he did it in our place. Then he willingly went to the cross. He suffered himself the penalty that we have earned with our sin. And he died. He was raised on the third day, defeating sin, death, and the devil. He ascended into heaven where we know he, he sits at the right hand of the Father even now, sanctifying our works and our prayers and our thanksgiving, acting as our advocate until he brings us finally glorified into his very presence. In the person and work of Jesus Christ, Almighty God has made known to us, bringing us our long-awaited redemption, bringing us our long-awaited reconciliation with the Father. In Him, He has graciously given to us all that we 
are completely incapable of ever producing ourselves. Paul tells us that he gives us this wonderful gift through faith. Faith is then the instrument through which we lay hold of Jesus Christ and all of his benefits. One thing we've seen clearly so far in this letter is that salvation is entirely of God. And now beginning here in verse 27, the Apostle Paul begins to draw some deductions from what he has labored to get across to us in verses 21 through 26. We now have before us once again the doctrine of justification and Paul begins to bring into light some of the crucial implications that this doctrine has on the lives of those who are followers of Jesus Christ by faith. In fact, we will see here that this now becomes one of the primary focuses of the rest of the letter written to the Romans. What does it mean for us that we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ? Not because of what we are, not because of what we aspire to do, not because of what we do at all or even think that we might be willing to do for God, but solely by an act of his unfathomable grace. Beloved, I think we can easily see the importance that the Apostle Paul places on our getting this doctrine right. To become confused here is to lead one into serious error, if not outright heresy. And I trust that that will become clearer as we begin to unpack just some of these implications here. So let's look now to the Word of God this morning. I ask that you follow along as I read Romans chapter 3, again, verses 27 through 31. Hear now the word of our Lord. Paul says, Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Says the word of our Lord, may he always bless the reading of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we're grateful to have this opportunity to look into your word this morning. We pray that you would quiet our hearts and our minds, that you would cause us to cease from focusing on all those things that distract us in this life, that we would be able to give our full attention to the word of God this morning and that hearing it, we might be transformed by it for your glory. And Father, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I've already mentioned at this point in this letter, Paul begins to transition from stating how it is that a sinful man is justified before a perfectly holy God to the implications of that glorious truth. And it's very interesting to see what it is that Paul brings up first for our consideration. What is the very first implication 
that the Apostle Paul draws from this wonderful way in which God saves sinners through faith in Jesus Christ solely because of His grace. What is it? Well, Paul asks a rhetorical question here, a method which we see him frequently employ in his letters to the churches. He asks, where then is boasting? This is his follow-up. Where is boasting then? We have seen Paul throughout this letter sort of anticipate the response of sinful men and women to any truth of the gospel. And he does it again here. And beloved, I think it warrants our attention that the very first thing that Paul brings up on the heels of this doctrine being explained is our propensity towards pride. Do you see that here? This is the question that always arises within fallen man. Now, we might consider ourselves to be a little bit more sophisticated in our sin than to just come right out and say, hey, wait a minute, Paul, if what you're saying is true, where then is there any room at all left for my own glory in this scenario? Where is the place where I can make my boast in my Christianity? No, of course, we would not say it that way, right? Especially all of us good Reformed folk gathered here this morning. We know better. I mean, one of the cries of the Reformation was soli deo gloria. It's there on your bulletin, right? To God alone be the glory. We would never look, down, look for our own glory in something as big as our salvation, right? I hope you note that I am most definitely being a little bit sarcastic here. Beloved, the truth is we do this kind of thing all the time. We just find a new way to justify it or we find a a new twist, a little bend to put in it so that it sounds a little better. Who of us has not wanted at least a small, minuscule portion of credit in the Christian life? Who of us has not wondered if God was not pleased with our own personal level of devotion? Our own record of external faithfulness. We'll get into this more as we go, but I want you to see that Paul brings this out first for very good reason. He puts a tremendous weight on this bent of mankind, natural man, to look for some way to shine, some way to share in the glory of our salvation. And he does it for good reason. It would do us no good at all this morning to simply dismiss this as a message for all of those people. You know, those out there living in in that mass, that chaotic mass that calls itself modern evangelicalism. I want you to remember the scope of this audience to whom Paul is speaking. We know that he is certainly speaking to the Jewish people here. Even as he explained the gospel to them, he, he... anticipated their response to come from a misplaced confidence, even pride in who they were ethnically and nationally. And Paul has already addressed that. He's already warned them against that. You remember? They said, but Paul, we are the elect. We have the revelation of Almighty God and His law. We've been chosen. We've been given the covenant mark. 
of circumcision. Surely you would not lump us into that mess of sinful humanity. Surely God thinks higher of us than he does of all of those worthless heathen Gentiles. He is, however, speaking to more than just the Jewish people, though. He's also speaking in this letter to the Gentiles, isn't he? In fact, we can say with confidence that Paul, in speaking to these two groups of people, really is speaking to all of humanity. He's gladly proclaiming the glories of Jesus Christ and salvation to all who will hear it. He's speaking to you and I this morning. So we must hear him. We must heed this critical warning that Paul is giving to us here. Maybe you think I'm being a little bit dramatic. right? You're saying, oh, come on, Steve, you're making far too big of a deal of this. I mean, it's fairly obvious that we all have to fight pride in this life. We all do it. We all know it. So let's just move on and get to the things that maybe I don't already know. You know, get to those deep things hidden here in the text that will give me some real spiritual fodder to gnaw on today over lunch with my friends and my family. Beloved, I want to make certain that you hear me on this. Paul is seeking here to once again destroy all religious self-confidence in the Christian life. Let me say it again. I'll say it again. Paul, in this wonderful exposition of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ that is this letter written to the Romans is seeking to destroy, to eradicate, to annihilate any and all forms of religious self-confidence in the Christian life. You see, religious self-confidence, taking pride in your standing, taking pride in your perceived abilities, taking pride in all of the things that you have done for God, taking pride in the fact that this morning you are here when you could be anywhere else. Pride always binds the one who is exercising it to the very thing that he or she most desperately needs. Blinds the one exercising it. You understand what I'm saying? In large part, unless you understand why it is that the Apostle Paul is so vehemently calling all pride out here on the very heels of telling us how it is that we're justified before a holy God, you will never have anything like real assurance in the Christian life. The simple truth in large part determines the degree to which you will enjoy the Christian life. This truth. This is the thing that really separates Christianity from all merely moralistic religions out there. I've been saying this all along. Even as we have heard that horrific indictment against fallen man, we have had to fight the urge to think and perhaps even to say, well, Paul is obviously talking about somebody else. He could not possibly be talking to me. Because after all, I'm not that bad. 
Paul says, no, brother, sister, you're worse. In fact, in fighting the truth, in suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, you're worse. This indictment condemns us. And there's no room left for pride. There's no room left for this idea that God saved me because of how much I had to offer him in this life. All pride is silenced. It's the same thing here. Paul describes for us the only solution to that indictment. Faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Solely because of the grace of Almighty God alone. A salvation that is removed entirely from our efforts. Our perceived abilities. A salvation that is rooted only in God's unfathomable mercy and grace. A salvation where God himself does what we are completely incapable of. And so pride has no choice but to leave the building. Beloved, I want to tell you, far too many of us in the church are fighting for our right in this life to sort of share in the glory of salvation. And we're doing it at the cost of that promised most blessed assurance that Scripture is pointing us to. That's what we give in exchange. That's the cost of any real peace and rest in Jesus Christ. And Paul is calling on us to die to ourselves, not so that we can become self-proclaimed martyrs who take pride in their chosen position, but so that we can even begin to know what it is to live in Jesus Christ. So that we can begin to stop placing our trust in the very cause of every single one of our problems. Us. And our sin. He says, look away from yourself. And lock your gaze intently upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what he did for you. Look at what he accomplished for you. Look at who he was and who he is and consider why it is that he came and get over yourself and live in the joy of being complete in him, in union with him. How could we ever settle for the paltry praises of man when we have before us such an amazing salvation as we have been given freely in the Lord Jesus Christ? Where is boasting? Paul says, forget it. It's not to be found among the faithful. When you look to the Lord Jesus Christ and God-given faith, you give up your need and your desire to boast in anything other than Jesus. You begin to delight in praising another over yourself. You move from foolish navel-gazing. You look outside of yourself for your only real comfort in life and in death. And beloved, when you grasp that, you will cease from working like a dog for your assurance, for your, your confidence and never finding anything like it. 
And you'll move into resting in Jesus Christ by faith, delighting in him, finding real joy, real peace, real comfort. Look at what Paul is doing here with the simple renunciation of boasting. He's directing all of our confidence entirely away from ourselves and placing it firmly into the all-capable hands of Almighty God. That's what he's doing. He's pointing us back to consider what he's already said in verses 21 through 26. And in so doing, he's making crystal clear why the very notion of boasting itself, considering our amazing salvation in Jesus Christ, is utterly ridiculous. We already know that we must answer to God for our sin. Paul has made it clear we are all condemned rightly because of our sin. And our sin has to be dealt with for God to remain just. We need to be justified before God if we're ever to escape the penalty that we have earned, that we deserve, the wrath of God being poured out upon us because of our sin. And so we say with the full confidence of Scripture that it is God who justifies. It is God who judges. It is God who passes sentence. It is God to whom all creatures, great and small, must answer. Paul makes it clear in verse 26, doesn't he? God alone is just, and God alone is the justifier. You and I do not need to justify ourselves. No one else can stand as a just enough one to justify us. Only God can justify us. What are the grounds of our justification? How is it that a holy God can justify a sinner like me, a sinner like you? Look at verse 24. Freely by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's clear, isn't it? Again, our being justified takes place entirely outside of us. Why does God justify us? Because he's gracious. He justifies us freely by his grace. We've talked about it before. It's free to us. But that's certainly not to say that it costs nothing. It costs us nothing. It cost Almighty God. It cost the Lord Jesus Christ. It cost Him the laying aside of the glory that was His with the Father. It cost Him the putting on of this weak and beggarly flesh. It cost Him a lifetime of struggle and suffering. All of which which was but preparing Him to offer Himself as that perfectly fitted sacrifice for our salvation. The cost was too great to measure. Too great, in fact, ever be valued in terms of the cheap currency of this fleeting world. But it was not ours to pay. Do you understand boasting? Pride? How often in our pride do we wonder if God knows exactly what we've given up for him? How often do we allow ourselves to wallow in self-pity? And wonder if God really knows all that we're up against in this life. If he even appreciates 
the efforts we give. The truth is, beloved, he knows all about our so-called efforts. He knows all about the cheap sacrifices that we think we make. He knows all about our grumbling, complaining. He, He knows what we're really like when our masks of morality have been stripped away. The beautiful thing is, he knows us as we are. And he still purchased our salvation through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you praise God for that? Our salvation comes at an inconceivable price. And Jesus truly has paid it all. You cannot ever think to attain enough in this life or in a thousand lifetimes to purchase the full satisfaction of your sin debt to God. It's too great. However, the redemption that is in the person and work of Jesus Christ is more than enough. What what does that redemption consist of? It consists of his perfection in the eyes of the law. His life, his death, his his resurrection and subsequent ascension to the right hand of the Father. You cannot even dream to ever attain to that. And you say, well, what's the point? What's the point of all of this? The basis by which you are declared righteous by God is entirely outside of you. It's only in Jesus Christ who could be the propitiation by his blood, verse 25. And so we must have Jesus. We must have his righteousness as our own. We must have his perfection, his sacrifice. Only then do we have what we need. Forgiveness, righteousness, salvation, all of it in him by faith that God gives entirely outside of us. And that's why Paul is going to such great lengths here to make it so clear. These are but the grounds of our salvation. And looking at them, we see clearly that we have no boasting found in any of it. We can only weep and then sing praises to the one whom these things are also graciously given. That's what the Christian life is all about. It's not about what group you're serving in. It's not about all the things you've given up for God. It's not about your attempts at righteousness. It's about worshiping the means of those things. How do we receive these benefits? Can we find some room perhaps to congratulate ourselves there? Can we find some room to maybe share just in a little piece of the glory there? I mean, we could say that, yes, God did all these things, but I must still appropriate them and make them my own. I must still reach out and believe. Well, what does the Apostle Paul say to that? Well, we know that he clearly says that we have no room for any boasting in any of it. There's no boast in the grounds of our justification, and Paul makes it equally clear here that there's no boasting to be found in the means of receiving it either. So how is it that we receive these benefits? Paul says it's through or it is by faith. 
Look at verse 27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? No. But by the law of faith. Faith excludes boasting because it is not now, nor has it ever been, the product of your obedience. Faith is the gift of God. It is the instrument through which we receive Jesus Christ and his gospel along with all of his benefits. It is the conduit, if you will, through which all of these things flow and all of it takes place outside of ourselves, outside of our obedience, outside of our intentions and is rooted in the grace of God. And we know what faith is, right? We're constantly looking at the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 21. We talked about it this morning in Sunday school. It gives us that definition of true faith. And it's merely echoing the, the, the words of Paul here. Listen to what it says. What is true faith? True faith is not only a sure knowledge, whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed to us in his word, but also a hearty trust, which the Holy Spirit works in me through the gospel that not only to others, but also to me, forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness, and salvation are given freely by God, merely of grace, only for the sake of Steve's merits, of Christ's merits. Beloved, do you hear it? Boasting is excluded. Why? Because Almighty God in His infinite wisdom and His unimaginable mercy accomplished all of it for us. So there could be no doubt. Never for a moment does he leave any of it in our utterly incapable hands. Praise God. Right? Bragging, boasting in your salvation makes no sense. No sense. It's ridiculous. The redeemed trade in their desire to boast for a desire to sing praises. Paul states it here for us positively. Why is boasting excluded? Because Jesus paid it all. And he is the only one who even had what it takes to pay. Only he could lay down his life. Only he was perfectly fitted for our salvation. Only he would be willing to do it for wretches like you and I. Sinners. Jesus did it all. We did nothing. We bring nothing in exchange for this wonderful salvation in Jesus Christ. That is the positive. Why is it so unthinkable for us to boast in our justification, to find something in ourselves that would commend us to God for salvation? I want you to think this morning of what we see in Scripture what the true implications of our boasting really are. What is it that we're saying to God or about God when we find a way to take pride in our being saved at all? Beloved, when you find grounds for boasting in your salvation, you are in fact telling God that he has failed. You understand? You are stating through your actions that the salvation that Almighty God offers to you in the person and work of Jesus Christ is great, but needs just a little bit of tweaking by you, right? by me. 
You say, yes, Lord, of course I appreciate the gospel. I mean, who would not appreciate it? You see, it's just that I need to play a part in all of this. I need to sort of show the world my mettle here. It should be Jesus, you know, the gospel, and my obedience. My being a serious one of faith. My doing great things for God. My working tirelessly for the church for all these years. My sacrifice. The gospel and something. The gospel and anything. Beloved, if you have something in you to commend yourself before God, if you have something within you that God really needs in order to perfect salvation, then the truth is Jesus Christ died for nothing. He died in vain. Do you see the offense of it? We do not come to the picture here in Romans and understand that. We do not come to that picture, in fact, anywhere in sacred scripture. If you read the Bible and you feel better about what you are considering the holy law of God, then I promise you, you have missed the point of all of it. You can never live in real appreciation for the grace of God. You can never live in gratitude to God for the gospel if you do not grasp why it is that Paul so blows out any and all religious boasting of out of the water here. Do you see it this morning? Beloved, this is what we confess about justification in every single one of our confessions. I'm going to leave you in closing this morning with but one of them from the Belgic Confession of Faith for you to think on in the days to come. We're most likely going to return to this passage for one more week as I deal with the rest of it because we never really proceeded uh, past boasting this morning. I think rightfully so. I'm preaching to myself and I need to deal with it, right? We all need to deal with it. It's a problem. We need this truth. It's critical in the Christian life. We need to throw down spiritual pride whenever it rears its ugly head. It is a destroyer of genuine assurance in the believer's life. And it is an offense against the gospel. It will lead to all manner of sin, anger, pity, despair, seeking our refuge anywhere but in Jesus. I want you to listen to the Belgic Confession of Faith, Article 22, as it describes for us justification by faith in Jesus Christ along with what that implies for us. And it says this, Article 22, We believe that to attain the true knowledge of this great mystery, the Holy Spirit kindles in our hearts an upright faith which embraces Jesus Christ with all of His merits, appropriates Him, and seeks nothing more besides Him. For it must needs follow either that all things which are requisite to our salvation are not in Jesus Christ, or if all things are in Him, that then those who possess Jesus Christ through faith have complete salvation in Him. Therefore, for any to assert that Christ is not sufficient, but that something more is required besides Him, would be too gross a blasphemy. For hence it would follow that Christ was but half a Savior. Therefore we justly say with Paul that we are justified by faith alone or by faith apart from the law. However, to speak more clearly, we do not mean that faith itself justifies us. For it is only an instrument 
with which we embrace Christ our righteousness. But Jesus Christ, imputing to us all his merits and so many holy works which he has done for us in our stead, is our righteousness. Faith is an instrument that keeps us in communion with him and all of his benefits, which when they become ours, are more than sufficient to acquit us of our sins. You see, beloved, the truth is boasting belongs to the faithless. Praises belong to those who have been given eyes that behold Jesus Christ in all of his glory, with all of his benefits, which look away from themselves and trust entirely in the exceeding sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ, his work, his faithfulness, his life alone. And who live this life with that blessing before our eyes through the God-given gift of saving faith. Boasting? Only in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Let's pray.